welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm here with Satish Kumar. Satish is, I guess, a, a legend in some senses in your field of uh, ecology, uh, peace campaigning. Uh, you've been at this a very long time, and it feels like a great honor to have you with us. Uh, Satish, welcome. My pleasure to be your guest. Right. And what I found just so interesting, briefly reading your autobiography before we came on, I'm a father of two boys. They're four and a half years old. And I read that at age nine, you rejected the world to, to join some monks. Is, is that when it all started for you? Yes. I mean, the thing is that it is very difficult to explain how a nine-year-old child can make a decision to leave home and become a monk. It is not easy to understand. However, my mother was a very religious woman. So she said she does not want to object or be an obstacle to uh, my life. If I want to pursue a religious path, I must be allowed. And she also believed that a, a young child is not an underdeveloped adult. The ah. child can make a decision to suit his or her purpose. And so she was very big-minded and generous. And so she allowed me to become a monk. And the reason I became a monk was because my father died when I was four years old. And when I saw him dead and my mother crying, my sisters crying, my brothers crying, everybody sad, that was a great shock to me. And I said to myself, is there a way of stopping people dying? And so I was told by the monks that in order to be free of the cycle of birth and death, you have to renounce the world and become a monk. And when you shed all your desires and attachments and anger and fear and anxiety and all the th negative things which hold you in this world, you can be free. And when you die, then you're never born again. You end the cycle of birth and death. That was a very attractive idea. And that led me to become a monk. That is the story. Right. And, and I just you tell me about those first days as a nine-year-old in a monastery. Like, how was that for you? You know, when you become a monk, you leave home, you leave money, you walk bare feet all the time walking. No bicycle, no boat, no horses, no car, no train, no plane, nothing. Only walking. And you have a begging bowl and you go from door to door and you beg for your food once a day. And the rest of the time, you meditate, you study, you contemplate, and you be yourself. And then at certain times, also when you have learned, you also teach. So that's how I lived for nine years, as a begging and a wandering monk, and living completely practicing uh, a freedom from anger, fear, anxiety, greed, pride, ego. These were the things which I had to focus on and say all the time ask, is this ego? Is this pride? Is this anger? Why am I angry? Being aware of the state of your mind. That was the training I received for nine years. Right. Right. And what were the hardest of those to let go of? What, what did you find most difficult to rid yourself of? I mean, in a way, I, I was very enthusiastic to leave home to become a monk, but I still missed my mother. And I felt, oh, 
my mother could come to see me, but I could not go to see her at home. So when my mother came, that was a very nice time. Uh, but otherwise, I missed home. Or I missed my mother. But at the same time, I was learning tremendous amount of, uh, of um, wisdom and knowledge. I was learning Sanskrit language. I was learning uh, philosophy. I was learning to sing. I was learning to write poems. I was learning a lot. So that was a good training for me. That was like a school, being in a boarding school, uh, but in a very kind of religious way. Right, right. Yeah. And this is in Rajasthan in India. That's right. In Rajasthan yeah. in India. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that brings us, so you get to you get to 18 and then this brings us on to your your peace walk, right? Could you tell us a little bit about the like the genesis of that? Yes. When when I was 18, I was inspired by Mahatma Gandhi and his principle of peace and nonviolence. Because nonviolence to Mahatma Gandhi was the supreme principle. Because if we are non-violent to ourselves, non-violent to other people, and non-violent to nature, non-violent all levels, then we can address the problems of war, conflict, poverty, social injustice, exploitation, destruction of natural world. All these things are part of violence. Uh, when we are polluting our oceans with plastic, that is violence to nature. That's a kind of crime against nature. When we put a carbon emission in the atmosphere, that is violence to nature. Uh, when we put animals in factory farms and treat them with cruelty, that is violence to nature. So principle non-violence and peace was Gandhi's main um, idea. And so I was 26 at that time when I went around the world for peace, I thought the nuclear weapons are the height of our violent nature. And therefore, if we can get rid of non, uh, nuclear weapons, that will be a very big step. How can we be non-violent to animals and humans and, and nature when we are being so violent and spending so much money on nuclear armaments? So, at 8.26, I decided to walk like a monk again. I decided to walk from India to Moscow, Paris, London, Washington, four nuclear capitals of the world. It was the height of Cold War. And I decided to go without any money. Like I was a monk, so I knew how to live without money. And so with a friend, I went. Started from the grave of Mahatma Gandhi and walked through Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, and then came to Soviet Union at that time, to Moscow, and then uh, through Belarusia to Poland, Germany, Belgium, France. And then I took a little boat helped by the French pacifists uh, from uh, Dover to um, Calais to Dover, and from Calais to Dover, and Dover to London, I walked. And then from London to Southampton, I walked. And I met Bertrand Russell uh, in London. And, and I, I took a boat with the help of Bertrand Russell, Queen Mary, uh, to sail across the Atlantic. And then I went to New York and I walked from New York to Washington. And I ended my journey at the grave of John F. Kennedy. So I started from the grave of Mahatma Gandhi and ended at the grave of John F. Kennedy. From grave to grave to make the point that if you believe in violence, violence can kill not only bad people or criminals, a gun 
and violence can also kill a Gandhi, a Kennedy. So we must practice non-violence. So that was my kind of activism um, for non-violence, for peace. And non-violence at all levels, peace at all levels, making peace within yourself is important. Yeah. If you are not at peace within yourself, you cannot make peace in the world. You have to be the change that you want to see in the world. So you have to be peaceful in order to make peace in the world. Then you have to make peace with all people, all religions, all nationalities, all races, all colors, all kinds of people. No discrimination, no exception. Peace with all. And then peace with nature, peace with planet Earth. But the way we are treating our Earth, it is almost like a war against nature. Uh, the way we are destroying our rainforest, the way we are polluting our oceans, the way we are emitting carbon in the atmosphere, they're all acts of violence. And so we have to make peace with nature. So my walk from India to America, 8,000 miles without any money to 15 countries was an act of peace and activism for nonviolence, making peace with all living beings. Right, right, right. And how were you treated when you turned up at these capitals? <clears throat> I was treated quite well. I was received in the Kremlin. And I was received in 10 Downing Street. And I was received in the White House. Only place where I had a bit of problem was Paris, where they did not let me uh, um, uh, meet the president and, and or any officials. But otherwise, in the Kremlin and in the White House, I had a very good response. And in the Kremlin, they said, oh, we are for peace. We want to disarm as soon as we can. But it's Americans who are causing the problem. Go there. Then when we <laughs> went to America, in the White House, the same answer. They said, we are for peace. We don't want any nuclear weapons. It's the Russians who are causing this problem. Go to Kremlin. I said, we have been to Kremlin. Now we are in the White House. You are saying the same thing. Why don't you give the lead? Take the initiative. Show that you can start peace in the world. So we, have, we were received okay, but the response was very uh, similar, uh, very kind of uh, lukewarm, if not negative. Right, right. It reminds me a little bit when I did work with uh, coaching clients in companies and I say, hey, you know, would you like some coaching? And they're like, no, 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 that guy needs some coaching. Or My team needs some coaching. That's right, yeah. yeah. Always put the ball in somebody else's court. Right, right, right. And... Uh, yeah, I guess my, my other question then. So, I mean, you you talked at the beginning there about making peace peace with yourself. Yeah. Um, and is that because it sounds like in that mission, you're asking them to to lay down their their, their weapons or, or, or stop the, the nuclear uh, armament. But are you also telling them that they, they should seek to find peace within themselves? Is that part of the message? Yes, yes absolutely. I was telling them that. You are creating nuclear weapons and war preparation and arms race all because of fear. As long as you have fear in your heart, you cannot make peace in the world. So first thing you have to start with yourself is replace this fear with trust. The moment you start to trust people, then you have no enemies. Enemies come only because of fear. We create our enemies out of our fear. The moment you drop the fear and start to trust other people and trust yourself, then you have no enemies because humans are humans. Enemies are created by our fear. 
And so making peace within your heart is a kind of spirituality. How you reduce your fear, how you drop your fear and cultivate your trust in your heart. And out of trust grows love and compassion and collaboration and cooperation and working together and friendship. All those things emerge out of trust and not out of fear. So dropping the fear was my message to the leaders of the Kremlin and, and to the leaders of the White House and all the world leaders. And I was through, I was, of course, giving interviews on the BBC, on ITV, on the, in The Guardian, in the Pravda, Isvestia, New York Times, Washington Post, all the papers. I was telling them all that the spirituality and social action and politics and economics are all interrelated and interconnected. You cannot have separate spirituality on Sunday in the church and the rest of the time you have nothing to do with spirituality. So that was my message. Spirituality and peace are connected. Right. And I guess when we look at the world now and I look at myself, I, I, you know, I can still sense that there's aspects within me. I've still got some fear in my heart. And of course we see it in the world. Like, how do, you, how do you suggest people get started with dropping fear? So you have to start asking yourself, have a time in the day, half an hour, 20 minutes, whatever time you can spare, ask yourself, why am I afraid? I'm afraid of whom? What is the reason of this fear? The moment you start to ask those questions in your meditation every morning, you start to get the answer. Who am I? Am I separate or related? Separation causes fear. Relationship causes trust. We are all related. I cannot exist by myself. I am a gift from the universe. I am here because of my parents. I'm here because of uh, my ancestors. I'm here because of the all living beings. I'm here because of the earth. that I, It gives me food. I'm here because of the water in the rain which I can drink. I'm here because of the air. I'm interconnected. The moment I realize that I am uh, interconnected, you are, therefore I am. The others are, therefore I am. I cannot exist by myself. The moment you reduce the idea of separation and increase the idea of relationship, then the fear starts to drop. Fear starts to reduce and you start to trust. And you say, even if I get cheated once, once in a while, that is better than all the time living in fear. So it is better to face the problem and, and then negotiate with, uh, with imagination, with creativity, with love, with compassion, and with generosity, and negotiate your problem and, 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 and go through the problem rather than be afraid of the problem and afraid of other people. So every day you have to ask yourself, why I'm afraid? Where is this fear coming from? Is this fear helpful to me? Should I, should I cultivate fear? Should I live with fear? Or should I cultivate trust? That question, every day, like when to play, want to learn violin, every day you have to take the violin in your hand and play. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, every day. Then you become expert on violin. In the same way, when you ask yourself, why I'm afraid? What is my fear? I want to cultivate trust. You become a, like a good violin player, you become a good, trusting human being. 
Right. That's yeah. So this is a almost like we could see it like a skill we could develop or an aptitude to to trust and to step uh, step out or step away from fear and into trust. This is something we can cultivate. And how quickly did that come for you? So as a nine year old, like did 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 this come quite quickly? Is this something you really had to work hard at? <laughs> no, it is it is a slow process. And even though now I'm eighty five, I'm still learning. There is no final point to arrive. Life is a journey. Life is a pilgrimage. There's no final destination when you can say, now I'm completely enlightened, I'm completely trustworthy, and I'm completely trusting the whole humanity. There's no fear at all. This is not, this is not like a, a great violin player, like Yehudi Menuhin. Still he's practicing, or he was when he was alive, practicing violin every day. And he never said, I have reached a final goal. So you get better and better and better. And yet it is not a final goal. You are still continuing. So I'm still learning to trust more and, 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 and um, have less fear and have more compassion and, and more relationship and more friendship and more generosity. All the time I'm learning. Right, right. And, and why do you think it is that there are so many people who, because I sometimes have this question, like why, why is it that so many people choose not to take this path? Because of our education system is very egocentric. And, and our education system teaches you not to trust. Our education system teaches you to, uh, to, to take just yourself as the main uh, center of activity. My success, my name, my fame, my money, my house, my job. How can I get ahead? How can I have more power, more control, more money, uh, more status, more prestige, more power? All this is me, me, me. This is the education we get from childhood. Five years old, you start your education. In your primary school, secondary school, uh, university, all the time, you're brainwashing, brainwashed. Uh, you, the education is a kind of brainwashing process. And we become so egotistical. Only me, me, me. How can I be more successful? And don't trust anybody, just yourself. So this is, we have to change our educational system. And our education should be education of head, education of heart, education of hands. We have to learn in our educational system how to trust, how to be kind, how to be respectful, how to be generous, how to be compassionate, and how to help others before I help myself. And when I help others, others will help me. Then it's a principle of mutuality, principle of uh, relationship and, and reciprocity. Those cultivate. At the moment, we don't have that mutuality and reciprocity. We have a separation and me, me, me. I have to get ahead. I have to be successful myself. This is the problem. So I think we have to transform our education. And then we have to also transform our business. In our business, they're always told, all our employees and all our business entrepreneurs are all the time told that you have to be successful. You have to be successful yourself. So business is very egocentric. I want we move from ego to eco, from G to C. If we become ecological, that means we are uh, in relationship. The word eco comes from Greek. Uh, in Greek language, eco means home. Ecos means home. So economy means management of home. And ecology means relationship 
in home. Logos is knowledge of home. So knowledge and management go together. So if we are ecos, we are ecological, then we are more in relationship in the home. Like at home, you have a relationship with your mother, your father, your children, your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister. So that relationship is the key to transforming our business from egocentric to ecocentric and not by personal success. So at the moment, human beings have become a resource for the economy. Human beings are instruments of making profit and, and maximizing profit and economic growth. And, and a success of the company. I think that is a wrong notion in business. Humans are not a resource for the economy. Like we have a human resources in every business, there's a department called human resources. I think that's a dreadful word. We, we should not have human resources. We should have a human relationship. HR should be human relationship, <laughs> not human resources. So if we can transform our business in that, that business will flourish. And humans will be happy and they'll be more contented and more joyful and more peaceful. So I think we need that transformation. Right. And the relational. Yeah. No, I love, I love all that. And the other thing that comes to mind as you say that, though, there seems to be like one principal relationship. And, and this is what I'm, which is coming to me as I take sort of baby steps into to spiritual development is that the first and foremost, there needs to be this relationship with something beyond me, something beyond the ego. And then there's this yeah. paradox. So the more I develop that relationship with all that is or whatever we want to call it, it becomes easier for me to, to create relationships with humans here on earth, right? It's, it seems like it's, it's wrong to initially focus on my relationships at the human level. It's like we almost have to go up a level to be able to be yeah. more effective at the human level. Is, is, that, is that right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. There are, there are three levels. There's a human level, there's a planetary level, and there's a cosmic level. So human level is, we are, first of all, we are in Great Britain, so the British people, then we are in Europe, the European people, then we are in the world, so there are 7 billion people on this planet Earth, and we all have to live on a human relationship and human, uh, human uh, justice and human harmony and human welfare and human relationship. That is a one level. Then humanity cannot survive by itself. Humanity dependent on nature. Humanity dependent on earth, air, fire, water, um, food, uh, everything. So we have to have a relationship with the planetary level. And so we have to understand the how we can have reciprocity and mutuality between humans and the natural world. And, and unless we cultivate that relationship of respect and, and a caring with the natural world and not exploit nature, again, like human resources, nature resources, nature has become a resource for the economy. That's right. also yeah, wrong. I, I can consider that nature term, yeah. is not a resource for the economy. Nature is a source of life itself. So we have to respect nature. Then nature is abundant. If you plant one seed in the ground, it will give you a thousand apples back. There is no shortage of food. There is no shortage of water. It's the how we misuse and how we pollute and how we waste, and that creates problems. So our relation with the planetary level has to be very, very important and very fundamental to, for our well-being and for human happiness and human harmony. But the third level, that's the highest level. That's a level of consciousness. That's a level of spirit. I call it cosmic level. 
the cosmic consciousness. We are part of a bigger, bigger picture. There are millions of planets, millions of stars, um, and, and, and they are un- invisible. Um, uh, we cannot measure, we cannot count, we cannot imagine. So that's it. So we have to expand our consciousness. And that's a kind of very spiritual level, that kind of divine level. And, and that have to bear all the time in our back of our mind that I am a part of a cosmic consciousness. I'm a part of cosmic existence. Our planet Earth cannot exist without the sun, without the moon, without the stars, without all the cosmic forces. And those cosmic forces are divine and sacred. And so if we have that spiritual dimension, and spiritual dimension is above religious dimension, it's a more uh, kind of uh, more uh, kind of understanding of the non-physical, metaphysical reality of our universe. So that cosmic level, I call, is as important as the physical level and the planetary level. So if we can have a, a physical human level and then a planetary level, and the cosmic level, then I think we can have a much bigger understanding of our existence. Okay, so I'm starting to see a new design for business. So instead of human resources, we've got human relationships. Uh, instead of natural resources, we've got natural relationships. And now we need a, a new department in our business, and that's called cosmic relationships. So we have to start have an HR and a CR. <laughs> CR is cosmic relationship. <laughs> there we are. Brilliant. So HR, human relationship, NR, nature relationship, and, then, and, and a CR, cosmic relationship. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. <laughs> and the reason, of course, I'm laughing is I, you can imagine taking that to, to the management board of practically any company on the planet right now and, uh, and getting laughed out of it. But, you know, that, that speaks to my heart, right? That imagine a society and businesses and families all with that kind of orientation. What a different, you know, world we'd have. Yeah. And then the business will flourish and, and there will be no shortage of anything. Everybody will be more contented. And then in addition to our consumption and production of goods and services, there will be more in our society, uh, art, culture, crafts, music, poetry, family, gardening, walking, healthy living. All these things will have equal value when we have that bigger consciousness. At the moment, our focus is very narrow. Very narrow focus. Only money, money, money. How much money are you making? How much salary are you getting? How much material possessions are you having? How big is your house? How good is your car? How many computers do you have? Our focus is very narrow, very limited. I want this cosmic relationship uh, to broaden our mind and our consciousness. And therefore, everybody becomes a poet. Everybody becomes an artist. And business becomes a work of art. And, and a production consumption becomes a work of art and imagination. And that's the cosmic consciousness. Yeah. And it, I mean, and some people might listen to this and think, oh, wow, you know, this is some kind of trip. You know, this is way beyond what's ever going to be possible. But, I, you know, I think what's interesting for me is now sort of, you know, taking a few steps down this path. It's, everything you've just said sounds entirely doable. Like it's, it's possible. It's within our gift as human beings if we're prepared as individuals, each and every individual to do this work you've described of going into the heart and, and getting into and resolving where we're fifth. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we have to also, I, we started with the idea of peace and nonviolence. Um, doctors, when 
they graduate from the university before starting their practice in the hospital or the medical world or GP, they take Hippocratic oath, which means first do no harm. Then you are free to do whatever you want to do. Only thing you cannot do is do no harm. Uh, that is a Hippocratic oath every doctor takes. I would like all business people to do the same. When you enter the business, when you are starting industry, car industry, or, or, or computer industry, or manufacturing clothes, or manufacturing food, or starting a big business, Marks and Spencer, or, or Gallery Lafayette in Paris, or any big business, you take that out, that I will do everything, but do no harm. No harm to myself, no harm to other people, and no harm to nature. As long as I do no harm, my business will be good. And so that's the only business world needs to do. They can do anything they like, as long as it does not create waste and pollution. And one very simple formula for doing no harm business is to have a cyclical economy, a circular economy. Economy of nature is circular. Everything comes from the soil, goes back to the soil. Never goes anything into waste. Nothing goes into pollution. That's the economy of nature. Human economy is wasteful. It's a linear economy. We take from nature and then use it and then throw it away in the waste, like in the ocean uh, and or in the atmosphere or in the soil. If we can have an economy of nature into our uh, human economy and everything is in a circular whatever comes from nature goes back to nature, then there's a beautiful nature is abundant and we can take as much as you want. As I said, one seed can give you a thousand apples and each apple will have more seeds to plant more trees. And you can have from one seed, you can have a whole orchard created. So that way, nature is abundant. There's no shortage of anything. Only thing we need to do is to do no harm, do no waste do no pollution, do no injustice. If we can do those things, then there is a tremendous joy and happiness and prosperity and wealth in the world. And I love it. I'm just swept away by your energy and that, and that vision. And yet there's this little part of me that's like, oh, yeah, 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 but hang on, Satish. Like if I just, even something as simple as like, I want to create a new factory, let's say, I'm going to have to clear the ground. That's like, a lot of weeds I've got to kill. Like maybe I've got to chop some trees down. Maybe there's some bugs that are going to die in the process. Like maybe there are a few squirrels that are going to become homeless. Like how, how do you, how do we, you know, how do we reconcile that? Like to do you anything can, at scale in the world, you want to, you're going to you have want to kill to something. You want to create a factory. Okay. No problem. Uh, you can take the weeds out, but don't throw them away like a waste. Put all those weeds on the compost and make compost. Then that, those weeds will become soil and put that soil back into the field where you are growing vegetables. So you are not wasting. Then whenever you are building a factory, use all the natural material like wood, like um, uh, uh, the straw bales, like, um, like earth, like anything which is natural. Which if, when it goes back, it can go back into nature. So you can do everything. I mean, people built Taj Mahal. People built the pyramids. People built many, many great things in the past, but they did not create pollution or waste. They created things which were natural. So 
you can create um, uh, progress, you can have uh, innovation, you can have science, you can have technology, but it all must be based in as little waste and pollution and violence to nature as possible. Oh, so it's as little as possible. Because, yeah, because sometimes when I hear you speak, I'm like, does that mean we cannot kill any living entity? And you're, you're not saying that. But what you're saying is we could go out, we can create, but we want to be mindful of our natural relationship. You know, we want to exactly. be working with it, with the NR I, department when we do this. This is why I said there's no <laughs> final destination. It's a journey. It's a pilgrimage. We are all the time mindful that what are my actions and how my actions are going to impact on the natural world, on the human world, and the cosmic world. As long as you're mindful of your action and you minimize your uh, damage, then nature can sustain a little bit of damage. It's not, nature is not, nature is quite resilient. But when you pollute so much, like in the atmosphere, we have so much carbon emission, uh, and so that uh, creating global warming and climate change, that's going too far. As if humans have no limit. A great river flows within two banks. And that limit gives the river power to flow. But the moment you remove the banks, then river becomes not a flow, but a flood. So at the moment, the human activities have become like a flood. They are destroying and damaging the planet Earth. If we stay within our two banks, within our two limits, we can flow, meander, and reach the ocean. So... So we can live a good life and a good economy and a good business and prosperity and wealth without damaging and without destroying our um, uh, planet Earth. We cannot cut the branch on which we are sitting. At the moment, we are sitting on the branch of nature and we are destroying nature. Nature is the, is the life. Nature is giving us food and water and, and, and oxygen and life. If we damage nature, we are damaging ourselves. So th- what I'm saying is that don't cut the branch on which you are sitting. Don't destroy the nature which is giving you life. Right, 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 right. That makes sense. And I, I, the other reflections you're speaking now is, you know, you, you just mentioned climate change. And it seems to me that the story about climate change right now is creating a lot of fear in the world and in people. So again, how do we reconcile that? Like if let's say, you know, we've got this particular concern about something we're doing with nature, uh, but the, and just talking about that might create the very fear that from your perspective, we, sh- we, we don't want to create in the world. So no, how do no, we have no, these conversations want, without creating fear? There is no need to have fear. Just think that what, what is creating climate change? Climate change is happening because of our overuse of fossil fuel. Now, where the fossil fuel is coming from? Fossil fuel is coming from the underworld. The underworld, which is thousands and thousands of feet below the earth. And it's a dark energy. Coal is dark energy. Oil is a dark energy. Gas a dark energy. And the underworld is a world of hell. So the dark energy coming from the hell. And we are using that energy on a vast scale. That is creating hell on earth. That is a climate change. Just opposite of that is energy from the sky, energy from heaven. The sun energy, you cannot measure how much energy sun is giving us. Wind energy coming from heaven, from the above. Amount of energy that wind can give you is immeasurable. The rain and water energy, the ocean energy, water energy. Hydropower, 
If we use energy from the sun, from the wind, and from the, from the, from the water, there's so much energy, you don't have to go under the underworld and the hell and bring that energy and, and create hell on earth. You can have energy from heaven and create heaven on the earth as an unlimited energy. So I'm saying that there's no lack of prosperity, no lack of wealth, no lack of good life if we use energy wisely from heaven, from sun and the, the rain and the wind, uh, sun, water and wind. That is the energy of source. And every business can flourish using that energy. Why are you afraid? Don't, are you not afraid of creating global warming by using energy from the hell? You should be rejoicing that we have now opportunity to use energy from heaven so that we can create heaven on earth. Right, 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 right. But, I can't, but, but again, it seems like right now, some of the ways in which we're using that energy from your perspective might be uh, problematic right I, I just saw something in the paper yesterday about you know we're going to create more waste from solar panels like twice as much as we're going to create uh, you know that we've created so far from plastics and of course we know the birds that get killed by the wind power so like again does, doesn't this create like a potential contradiction in how we go about these things no it's a question of scale it's a question of scale it's a human scale and, and a passive solar energy and a water energy, water flowing in the river, water flowing in the, in the uh, wind turbine, a small scale, human scale. We also have to, as I said, we have to live within our limits. We have to have a, a frugality. We have to have a restraint. We can't just go on and on and on um, um, creating um, material wealth and losing all our spiritual wealth and human wealth um, and, and losing our imagination and creativity and poetry and art and music and all those things we are losing. And therefore, within frugality, within limit, what I'm saying is there's abundance of resources and abundance of energy in nature. We have to use it frugally and wisely and, and non-violently. We can use it. It's a question of imagination. Uh, when you have a global warming, climate change, it is a lack of, of poverty of imagination. If we have a good imagination, then humans can... Is, we have to go away from this private, egocentric motivation of making money for myself as quickly as possible, maximum profit myself, and say, what is good for the whole earth? What is good for the whole humanity? What is good for whole the future generations? And how can I create an economy which is good for our generation and good for future generation? That is the wisdom lacking in business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I, and I, tell you, I completely buy the frugality message. And something that I, um, I've been working on recently is this idea of enough. You know, this idea of enough. And, and uh, you know, you talked at a personal level about going to, away from fear, but also just like practicing, am I full now? Am I full now? Could I say there's enough now? Okay, enough. Okay, I'm going to stop eating. And and I think there's something in that message that's because because even I just had this conversation on the podcast yesterday. Like even some of the language we use in business about growth mindset. You know, have a growth mindset, develop yourself. You know, develop your skills. Yeah, and, and this more, 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 more growth, growth, growth. growth. <laughs> well, well, maybe I've I've read enough right now, or maybe I've eaten enough, or maybe I've you know I don't know like meditated enough. It's 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 that is so countercultural, as you say, to a lot of our educational paradigm. Exactly. Even too much of a good thing can be bad. Uh, yeah. So when you know enough is enough, you already have enough. 
and there are plenty there. And then there are non-material things which you can pursue, as I said, uh, more poetry, more imagination, more art, more culture, more friendship, uh, more uh, gardening, more cooking, more walking. All these things bring you health and happiness. We can pursue many things which are not just physical um, uh, possessions. Uh, I have written a book about it. Uh, my book is called Elegant Simplicity. If right. your uh, listeners are interested, they can look into my book uh, and say how I can live elegantly, beautifully, nicely, but simply. Um, any fool can make things complicated. It requires a genius to make things simple. And at the moment, our society is full of fools. They are making things too complicated. We need some good genius people who can make things simple and, and elegant and, and joyful. Right. And joyful. Right. And joyful. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that... Is, God. Joy is, a, joy is the aim. In the end, life is all about joy, not about possessions. Joy. Yeah. And, and again, I think we could get stuck in the... Oh, is there too much carbon in the atmosphere? And should we be doing this with our energy systems? And, 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 and kind of completely lose track of that idea that a simple, joyful life is, is really what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And, but a joyful life is about beauty. We have to create more beauty. Uh, we have to create more durability. We have to create more regenerative culture. Uh, and all these things are part of joy. Joy is the key. If we do not find joy in life, you may be a billionaire, you may have many cars, you may have many houses, you have many computers, you have many, many possessions. But if you are not happy, you are not joyful, what's the point of having all those possessions? So joy is the key. Yeah, and I have to say, I've, it's only now, right, in, you know, where I'm at with my own development is that I'm now getting to a place where I can access joy much more easily. And I think it's a combination of meditation. So what you talked about, that 20 minutes per day where I just sit with myself and the more I can do that, the more I can just allow joy to emerge in me. And, and of the therapeutic work I've done just to release a lot of the old pain and old fear from my past. And combined, that's allowed me to, and to, to find joy more easily in life. And now I'm like really motivated. It's like, okay, where's my next meditation session going to be? Like, where's my next walk in nature? Where's that next moment where I can just like look up and experience joy? And it, yeah, it's wonderful to like have that be in my life in a way that it, that it wasn't previously. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So and, I uh, think we have, we have well, covered plenty. Yeah. 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 No, we, we have plenty of coverage. Let's talk a little bit about your project. So you, the Re resurgence and ecologist, you've been an editor yes. of that for 43 years. <laughs> Should we yes. share a little bit about that and, and yes. what? Yes. A uh, resurgence uh, magazine started in 1966. Um, and it was started by people like E.F. Schumacher, who wrote Small is Beautiful, and Buddhist Economics. And so a resurgence, uh, and then Ecologist was started by Teddy Goldsmith. Uh, and, and so now resurgence and Ecologist have come together as one magazine. And we have one organization called Resurgence Trust. And so we organize events. So Festival of Wellbeing is on this Saturday, um, uh, wow. this coming And we have got uh, Russell Brand, Annie Lennox, um, uh, Caroline Lucas, Vandana Shiva, all these great speakers are speaking. So we invite, uh, we organize events, we publish magazine, uh, we run the ecologist website as a free service. And this is uh, the resurgence 
is a kind of champion of the holistic, ecological, environmental movement. What I call the movement for soil, soul, and society. Soil is represented uh, um, uh, by nature, and the soul is our spiritual and, and, and a consciousness level, and the society is our one humanity. So resurgence, if your listeners are interested, they can visit our resurgence.org website and see our magazine and they can become members. It's only 36 pounds a year. And then you get the six copies of the magazine and, and you get access to all our events and so on uh, or information uh, to all the, uh, all the events. And so this is the Surgeons Trust. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, we'll, make, we'll, we'll certainly make sure we put your, uh, your links out and then the books that you've mentioned. Wow. And especially what just strikes me is you're, you're living proof of the power of doing this work, right? You know, you're, you're 89, is that right? No, 85. And you're 85, sorry. You're 85 and you're so sharp and, and, and full of energy and you've still got creative projects you're pursuing. Yeah. I mean, I've had a few people who've, you know, go on, sorry, you're going to say. Now, the thing is that if you are an activist, and I became an activist at age 18, and I'm still an activist, but I'm also an optimist, and that gives me energy. When you lose optimism and hope, then you are not energetic. So my passion and my energy comes from my optimism and my hope. I think there's still a chance to change and transformation and, and, and information, and, and we can bring about change which can improve the human life, and we can live on planet Earth very well. There's a chance, there's an opportunity, and there's a hope. And this is why it gives me energy and passion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That's, that's, yeah, that's what's extraordinary, right? You did that piece, Mark, the, the, the nuclear weapons were still around. You know, you've, you've done many of these things in life, and, and yet and we still have, you know, issues in society. But this has not dented your hope and your passion and your enthusiasm one jot, it seems. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I mean, there are many, many wonderful things are happening in the world, which gives me hope. The young people are rising. The, 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 the uh, Greta Thunberg type of young people uh, who are walking um, Fridays for the future and, and, and Extinction Rebellion and, and COP26 in Glasgow. And, and many, many good things are happening around the world. And, and the more um, solar energy, more wind energy is happening. And so the more organic farm is happening. So the lots of good things are going on. So there's a tremendous hope and there's a tremendous opportunity for us to change and create a better world for our future generations. Touche. All right. Well, thank you, Satish. This has been a wonderful conversation. I feel so energized by it. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a copy of this book, right? Sorry, the, the the magazine. I'm really, you know, you've got some. Um, one of the things that's interesting is that on the website you've got some, you know, uh, testimonials for the magazine, and they they talk about the beauty of the of the artwork. And uh, yeah, if for nothing else, I'm intrigued now, and I want to, uh, you know, check check the magazine. Thank you. It was Good. a pleasure to, to be in the conversation with you. Thank you for inviting yeah, uh, me. Great pleasure. Thank you so much, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day, Satish. Thank you. You are welcome. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.